You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. In the book, Deep Down Dark, the author recounts the story of 33 miners in Chile that were trapped underground for 69 days in 2010. Deep Down Dark is a great way to describe what these men were experiencing in the mine. 33 miners were trapped under stone that was twice the size of the Empire State Building and there was no way for them to get to the surface. Rescue seemed impossible because any attempt to drill would cause the mine to cave in. In fact, one newspaper put their chances of rescue and of survival at 2%. The men knew there was almost no shot of them being rescued. So in the deep down dark, they began to do what people do in the deep down dark. They began to do what people do in desperation. They thought about their lives. And they thought about their relationships. And they thought about decisions that they had made and regrets that they had. And they thought about the possibility of death. One of the miners was a man by the name of Jose Enriquez. And he was at the time 54 years old. And he had been mining since the 1970s. And he was known amongst the miners as a follower of Jesus. And he would become known as the pastor of this group of men. And when they first initially had the mine cave in and they were desperate, they went to Jose and said, we want you to pray for us. We want you to pray that we will get out of the mine. So Jose says to them, well, when we pray, we get on our knees. And if you want to pray with me, then I want all of us, all 33 miners, to get on their knees and pray. And if, if they don't want to get on their knees, then I'm not going to do it. You need to find somebody else to pray. And so they all agree. We'll get on our knees and pray. And the book recounts the prayer that they prayed. As they got on their knees in the initial days of the mine collapsing, Jose prayed, we aren't the best men. Lord, have pity on us. We are sinners. We need you. There's nothing we can humanly do without your help. We need you to take charge of this situation. This is the def definition of desperation. There's nothing we can do. We need your 
after they prayed, the men said to Jose, what, what do we do now? So Jose said, well, what you need to do now is confess your sins out loud. And so they began to confess their sins. And the strangest thing began to happen thousands of feet underground in the deep down dark. Revival began to break out. One man confessed about his alcoholism and what it had cost him and his family. Another man began to confess about his trouble with anger and his temper and things that he had done in that. Another confessed that he had not been a good father to his young daughter. There's something about desperate moments that give us the opportunity to do things that we otherwise don't do. And in this moment, these men begin to pray and confess their sins to God. You see, we don't get to these moments in our lives because we're too busy. We're too distracted. We have too many demands. There's too many other things going on in our life to get to the place where we're so desperate that we get on our knees and we cry out to God. Let me ask you this question. Has there ever been a moment in your life that you've been desperate? Like deep, down, dark, desperate. Where you look at the situation and where you're at and think there's no way. There's a 2% chance. Have you ever been there? One word that we could describe Psalms 28 is desperation. When you hear Psalms 28, you hear desperation. You hear David crying out to God from the bottom of the pit. You hear David crying to the Lord in the deep down dark, saying, God, if you don't save me, It ain't going to happen. Desperate. What's interesting about the miners' story is that after they prayed, they began to hold prayer services every day from that moment on in the cave. That every day at noon and 6 p.m., they would get down on their knees and they would pray. And then Pastor Jose would stand up and what he could remember from scripture, he would preach sermons and then they would praise. So for 69 days in the pit, they would get on their knees at noon at 6 p.m. and they would pray. They would hear a sermon and they would praise. Jose said for us, prayer was so important. We felt God's presence in a very special way. It was amazing to watch the Lord responding to us even in the dark. 
We began to see what God was planning to do with each of us. That was the reason we could be tranquil. We could have peace and be united together. God didn't need any doors to get down there in the mind where we were. Every time we called on his name, he came. He was there and he was present. The same group of men that were desperate we're also praising. And in Psalms 28, the same David that we will see on his knees, desperate before the Lord, we will also see him praising the Lord. Because there's a distinct shift in the psalm. In verses 1 through 5, you have this desperation. And then when you come to verse 6, the tone, there's a key change in the text, if you want to say it that way. And that key chain in the text leads us to praise. And so I would put two words really on Psalms 28. It's desperate praise. It's being in the mind, the deep down dark on our knees, but in the same sense with our hands lifted to the Lord. Look at verses 1 through 5 with me where we find David in desperation. Verse 1, he says, To you, O Lord, I call. And before we get back, I want to get a little preachy here with this first sentence or first phrase. To you, O Lord, I call. Think about that for a second. Like we're talking about the God of the universe. Like, I know we can go through these psalms and we can rattle it off and like it's just old hat for us. But, but I want you to think about that for a second. That when David was in desperation, the first person he called to is the Lord. He said, to you, O Lord, I call. What a gift that we can go right into the throne of grace in our time of need and find help. Hebrews 4 in verse 16 reminds us of that when it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Isn't it a gift, church, that when we find ourselves trapped in the deep down dark that we can cry out to the Lord? Yes. David, in his desperation, knows who to call. He didn't need to call the Ghostbusters, right? Because I know you're thinking that. He didn't need to call Jack Ryan. He knew to call the Lord. And in our desperation, we cry out to the Lord. The issue for some of you in this room is you've been calling the wrong people in your desperation. You've been calling people like Jack Daniels, Little Debbie's, Mary Jane's, right? These are the people that you're calling and rather than them pushing you deeper out of the mind, they're pushing you deeper into the mind. And in this moment, you find yourself in the deep down dark and I want to propose to you today that maybe you need to call a different name. Maybe today you need to call on the name of the Lord God. 
Maybe you need to cry out to him in your desperation. And David gives us an example as he calls out to the Lord. And I love what he calls the Lord. He says, to to you, O Lord, I call my rock. You, You could translate that, my protection. You see, we live in a different climate and and a different uh, landscape than they lived in. They lived in a landscape with mountains. And so the idea of a rock was when you would go to war, you would go hide in the mountains. You go hide in the rock and that was your protection. Right? That doesn't happen in the plains of Kansas, right? Like you don't go hide in the rock. But where they were at, you would go hide in the rock. And as he is thinking about the Lord and this desperation that he finds himself in, he refers to the Lord as my rock. He is my protection. He is all around me. He says to the Lord, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down into the pit. This is the idea of death. That's the word pit. David says, unless you do something, Lord, I'm going to die. So it would seem as if the context is maybe he is literally in a mountain. We don't know. There's no other reference to this any other time in Scripture. So he could be physically threatened here. He could be physically sick. We just know that David finds himself in a moment of desperation. And then look at verse 2. David says, Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. Now, I want you to remember that phrase. It's going to pop up here again in just a minute in verse 2. So remember, hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. I also want you to notice, please. That word please is in the plural, meaning this wasn't a one-time deal. It wasn't that one time David just woke up and found himself in desperation and prayed one time and everything worked out and it's all good. No, when David says, hear the voice of my pleas, it is a repeated thing. Not a one and done. It is an over and over and over again, pleading to the Lord, crying out to the Lord in his desperation. He says, when I cry to you, for help when I lift up my hands toward the most holy sanctuary. Again, he is saying, God, as I am praying to you, I'm lifting up my hands, just a a form of prayer. I'm lifting my hands to you. And if you don't intercede, if you don't step in, we're goners. I'm gone. David cries out to the Lord in desperation. Then look at verses three through five. David in his desperation says to the Lord, do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds, give to them according to their work of their hands, render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of his hands, he will tear them down and build them up no more. So as David is desperately crying out to the Lord, he says, Lord, here's the reason why I don't want you to let me go down into the pit. Because I'm not hanging out with the wicked, right? 
I'm not doing the things and going down the path that they're going down. It takes us back to Psalms 26. Remember when David said this in Psalms 26 in verse 4 and 5, I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with the hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. So David is pleading that he will not be punished with the wicked because he is not connected with them, either in association or activity. David is saying, why would you let me go down to the pit, down to the deep down dark with the wicked? Now we read this and if we're honest with each other, we know that we can't read that verse and pray that verse with a clear conscience. Although we want to sometimes pray this for people, right? That we can't do that. Why? Because we know that we're all sinners. So who can pray this prayer with a clear conscience? Jesus, right? Yeah, Jesus is the answer. You can say that in church. It's okay to say Jesus. You see, Jesus is the only one that can really pray this prayer and pray it with a a clear conscience. Think, Think about the life of Jesus. When you consider these words in light of Jesus, they make sense because Jesus was publicly accused of being evil. Many lumped Jesus in with the wicked. Think about the false accusations that came at Jesus when he was here on earth. He was accused of being a glutton. He was accused of being an alcoholic. He was accused of being a friend of tax collectors. He was accused of being a prostitute. He was accused of being demon-possessed. He was arrested and they came after him in the garden with clubs because he was a quote-unquote a robber. At his trial, they accused him of blaspheme and they beat him as a heretic. When they turned him over to Pilate, they charged him with rebellion. Jesus was crucified between two terrorists. So he was hung on the cross with two terrorists. In the Old Testament, it says anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed by God. So Jesus was not only accused by Jews and Romans, God made him a curse through the law of Moses. And when you think about that, now listen to these words again. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to their evil deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of His hand and He will tear them down and He will build them up no more more. Jesus was counting on God and he prays this prayer and sings this song to God to come through and to judge rightly, to clear his name and show that there is a difference between Jesus and the wicked. And we know that he does that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. So not only does this verse make sense in reality, in light of the reality of Jesus and his life. This verse also makes sense, these verses, in the light of our own lives and the fact that we will stand before the Lord and give an account of our lives. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 16, in verse 27. He says, For the Son of Man 
is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father. And then he he will repay, sorry, each person according to what he has done. Listen to Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. He says, God will render to each one according to his works to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jews first and also the Greeks, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality the reality is one day we will give an account of our life before the Lord and here's the comfort and the terror in this the comfort is this God doesn't turn a blind eye to the wickedness and the evil in this world just know that you may be experiencing Wickedness and evil, you may see it around you. God doesn't turn a blind eye. For those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, that brings great comfort. He knows and he will take care of it. But also, there should be this other side of the same coin. That there should be a sense of fear. Not because we're trying to earn God's favor, right? Because we don't earn God's favor. We get to heaven through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we also must have a sense of fear that we will give an account, the Bible says, for every word that comes out of our mouth. That when we stand in righteousness before God, we will give an account of our life. Nothing goes unnoticed. This should lead us to comfort, but it also should lead us To live, as Proverbs would say, in the fear of the Lord. In a reverent awe of God that we will give an account of our life to Him. David David is desperate for God to answer him. And so he cries out to Him in desperation in verses 1-5 through saying, God, hear my pleas for mercy. Come and help me. Don't let me go the way of the wicked. Give them what they deserve. And then look at verses 6 through 9. All of a sudden, the tone of the psalm changes. He goes from desperation to saying, Blessed be the Lord. He goes from prayer to praise. That word, blessed be the Lord, has the idea of the Lord deserves praise. So as he finds himself in the deep down dark, all of a sudden from his knees, he lifts his hands to the Lord and says, the Lord deserves praise. Why does he deserve praise? Remember verse 2, I told you to remember, hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. Look at verse 6, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. David says, you've answered my prayer. And again, in the context, we don't know what that means. But there seems to be a sense of confidence now in David from this desperation to this praise. 
Where now he's saying, Lord, you are worthy to be praised. And I know that you're going to answer prayer. Either you've answered it or you will answer prayer. He's repeating the same phrase that he had said earlier. Hear the voice of my pleas. Now he says, you have heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. In verse 7 is a verse that you should probably and I should probably put to memory. It is this, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him, my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song, I give thanks to the Lord. He says, the Lord is the sh- my strength, my shield, my heart, my heart, right? See, for David, the Lord is not some distance deity. For David, the Lord, this is personal. The Lord is His strength. It reminds me of the verse we're memorizing as a church family as we're going through this growing in Christ, right? Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. David has looked at his life and as he praises the Lord, he praises the Lord for His strength. He says, you are my strength. You are my shield. You're my protection in him, my heart trust. And this is ultimately what the Lord is after. He is after your heart. He, he just doesn't want this external surface level obedience. The Lord is after your heart. And so I love that as David is thinking in the bottom of the pit, and as he begins to think about his life, he says, my heart not my outward self, right? My heart trust in the Lord. David is not about a surface level walk with the Lord. He is about a heart level walk with the Lord. And so he says, my strength, you're my shield. My heart trust in you and I am helped. My heart praises you. And with my song, I give thanks to you. David praises the Lord. Then verses eight and nine, he goes corporate with his prayer. He says, the Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. And this is odd for us maybe to understand today, but in their context in the Old Testament, as the king goes, so goes the people. Their livelihood was connected to the king. And so David in this moment goes from expressing his heart to the Lord to saying the Lord is the strength of his people from from my heart to your heart he is the strength of his people he is the saving refuge of his anointed king that he is the one that we turn to and then he says a prayer oh save your people and bless your heritage be their shepherd and carry them forever David takes us back to Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And he says, Lord, I'm praising you and praying that you will be the shepherd of these people and that you will be reminded that you will carry them forever. See, desperate praise is not us clawing our way out of the mind. It is falling on our knees And in the same moment, raising our hands in praise. That is desperate praise. 
It's falling on our knees. This is what we see in verses 1 through 5. And then we see praise in verses 6 through 9. This is what desperate praise looks like. As I was thinking about this psalm and the life of Jesus, I thought about an encounter that Jesus had with a group of men that were desperate. And this encounter is found in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. And it says that on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. I don't want to spend a lot of time, but you understand that leprosy was not a good thing, right? Leprosy was the second most feared disease in this time. And if you got leprosy, you were ostracized from society. So these 10 men find themselves in the deep down dark. It doesn't get much lower. You don't get much more trapped than you do in leprosy. You go to your own place. You're away from your family. You lose everything, your job and everything. These guys find themselves in the deep down dark. And they cry out to Jesus in desperation, desperation in verse 13. And he lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They're saying, give us what we don't deserve. We know we don't deserve to be healed, but please, Lord, heal us. When Jesus saw them, verse 14, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. In essence, Jesus is healing them by saying, go to the priest. As they go to the priest, you wouldn't go to the priest unless you were getting better. And so as they're going to the priest, it says they were cleansed, they were healed. Then one of them, how many of them were there when we started? Ten. Ten. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And then I love that Luke adds, now he was a Samaritan. He wasn't even a religious person. He was an outcast not only because of his leprosy, he was an outcast in Jewish society because he was a Samaritan. And out of the ten, only one returns and he falls on his face. He falls on his knees before Jesus and thanks him and praises him. And Jesus said to him, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. In desperation, these men, and specifically this one man, praised the Lord. It was desperate praise. This is a picture for us of salvation. Salvation is the idea that in our sin, we find ourselves separated from God, alienated from God, apart from Christ. And in desperation, we all should have had a moment in our life that in desperation, we fell on our knees before Jesus and said, I am a sinner. Save me from my sin. 
And that desperation leads us to Christ. It turns into praise. And listen, if you've never had that desperate moment in your life, I would say this. Apart from Christ, I have no hope for you. Your, listen, your deep down dark is the ceiling for your life. It ain't going to get any better than this apart from Christ. That's desperation. You really, this is your best life apart from Christ. And so today, if you find yourself in the deep down dark, today I want to invite you to know Christ who left heaven and came down to where you were and lived the life that you couldn't live in your best day. He lived that perfect life. And He died the death that you deserved to die. And He rose again three days later, conquering death, conquering the devil, conquering sin. And now you can be in right relationship with God. You can be pulled out of the depths of desperation. And you can come like this man did and fall on your knees and lift your hands to Jesus and praise Him because He has saved you out of the deep down dark I would invite you to put your faith and trust in Jesus today but you know if you're a follower of Jesus Christ that the Christian life is not this constant everything just gets better and better you know that the Christian life and David says this over and over again in the Psalms we go to mountaintops and we go to valleys right that sometimes the, the cave falls in on us And sometimes as followers of Jesus Christ, we find ourselves in desperate moments. And when we find ourselves in desperate moments, may we return to the thing that saved us, which is crying out to God. I love what Paul says in Colossians, as you have received Christ, so walk in him. You came to Christ because you were so desperate that you tried everything else in the world and nothing else was satisfying. And then you found Jesus and you found satisfaction. And so in Christ, now live that way. All right, now. Be desperate for Christ. On Sundays, we gather as a people that are desperate in need of the Lord, in need of the Word, and we leave praising God for revealing Himself to us. Every Sunday, we offer desperate praise to the Lord. Maybe there's a lack of praise in your life because there's a lack of desperation. Because desperation goes against every fabric of our culture. You figure it out. You figure out how to get out of that mind. You make a way. And yet, to follow Jesus is to be desperate. You know what I love, church? Two weeks ago, we did our prayer gathering for our camp. And we had the best turnout that we've had at any prayer gathering in the years that we've been doing this. I would say two to 300 people were in this room on a Sunday night. And you know what 
warmed my heart about that is what I saw was desperation. What I saw in our church was a group of people that said, if God doesn't do this for our students, nothing good's going to happen. And so we gathered as a church and we desperately prayed for each one of the students and leaders by name. And by God's grace, 13 students and kids came to know Jesus Christ. And now we can praise God, right? Because we were desperate before Him. See, we need to be a church that's desperate. That keeps falling on our knees over and over again at the bottom of our mind. And we just keep pleading. And in our plea, we lift our hands. And we praise Him because He is our rock and our strength and our shield and our heart trust in Him. Right? This should be the posture of our church. That when people come here, they see people that are desperate for God. But in the same way, they see people with hands lifted high, praising God. May Psalms 28 be true of our church. And listen, if you've never gotten to the place that you've fallen on your knees before God and said, God, save me, do it today. Do it. Right where you're sitting, say yes to Jesus. Cry out to the Lord. Stop crying to all those other things. They will never satisfy you. Only Jesus will. And today you can know the hope of not just being in desperation, but also raising your hands in praise. Because the old is gone and the new has Father, we are desperate for you. And I look across this room today and I look in the eyes of people who've experienced great desperation. Relationships that have burned to the ground. Physical death that they have walked through with people. They've been in moments of desperation. And so my prayer, Lord, is that in our desperation, we would cry out to you. And that as we cry out to you, that the tone as we cry would go from one of of angst to one of praise. That we would say, Lord, you are worthy to be praised because our heart trusts in you. You are our health. And I just got to believe, Lord, that if we are desperate for you, 13 kids coming to know Christ will just be the scratching of the surface of what you're going to do. That you desire to do so much more, but you're looking for a group of people that really are desperate for you. May we be that people. May this be the place. That as your eye moves to and fro throughout the earth, that it would land on Antioch Bible Baptist Church because there's a group of people that are on their knees with their hands lifted high. And Lord, for the person that is in this room because desperation has got them there, 
Would you save them? Help them to not leave this room without putting their faith and trust in you. And I believe what your word says in Psalms 29, that you are our shepherd and you will carry us forever. We're good in your arms. May we rest in that. In Jesus' name. And we said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.